2: and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're coming to you live from College Green right here in Westminster at the very heart of democracy, or what used to be known as the heart of democracy, before John Burko decided to take it his own way and change it into the heart of John Burko's democracy. There's an awful lot of MPs who are not happy with him. There's an awful lot of MPs who are not happy with Theresa May. There's an awful lot of people who are very happy with Theresa May, and many of them are on the Labour Party side. We don't know what's happening next Tuesday, but we're told there will be a meaningful vote. What I'm telling you is the most meaningful thing that's going to happen the next three hours is you listening to me and a bunch of guests from down here in Westminster at the very heart of the corridors of power where everything is going on, where plots are afoot, where plans are being made, where dust-ups are being planned for next Tuesday. We're going to find out with the help of a series of guests, including Ross Kempsel, our political editor, who's here with us, and of course a lot of MPs as well. We're going to be finding out and asking them the questions you want to ask them. So if you've got a question for any MP, anyone that you want to know the answer for any question of you tell me now 0344 499 1000 is the number and of course uh, we'll be doing the perrier awards a little bit later on because it's friday we'll be dealing with a few protesters if they come in here and try and heckle us we'll give them short shrift we don't take any bullying from anybody whether they be right wing left wing centrist fascist we don't care this is the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
1: the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
2: Well, I'm joined already very, very early on in the show by two very distinguished people. I've got Ross Kempsell on my right here, who is our political editor. He's going to be with us throughout the course of the morning. And Nigel Evans, the Conservative MP for Ribble Valley. Nigel, a very good morning. Looking very sort of weekendy, if I may say so. (laughs) Very country. Ready for the the shires. Next stop, Ribble Valley. (laughs) Excellent plan. Now, tell us, first of all, what's going on, because unusually there's a bit of action going on inside the Parliament today on a Friday. Usually on a Friday, everybody goes back to their constituencies there's still a bit of speech making to be done there's still a bit of persuading going on what's happening over there
3: yeah you're quite right on a friday normally um if there's no private members bills and they normally attract about 15 people uh, (laughs) on a friday because it's not it's not just simply it's a one-liner you're not compelled to be here but we got a a notification uh, uh, just before Christmas that uh, we would be uh, needed on uh, this Friday. And so I know there's 35 members of Parliament down to speak today, at yes, least, right. uh, in the continuation of the uh, Brexit debate. This is the um, the second. Uh, um, installment yes. of the Brexit, as you remember, well, the first one got pulled just before uh, Christmas.
2: Did. I mean, a lot of people wonder what it is that there is that's left to debate, really, because, of course, Theresa May keeps just sort of saying the same thing. This is the best deal in town. This is the only deal in town. We're not going to get anything else out of Brussels. We're not really going to change any of the suggestions uh, that we had the last time around. So what exactly are they asking for? These well, MPs? It, it's 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 a
3: fascinating uh, question that you ask, because uh, the reason why the vote was pulled just before Christmas, is that the whips had done their calculations. They worked out that it was going to go down big time. uh, It wasn't going to get through. So they decided to pull it in order that Theresa could then go back to Brussels and come back with, as we were told, more than warm words. Yes. Well, she came back and she didn't even get the warm words. No. Um, They basically said, get stuffed. Uh, We're not altering anything. And we're talking about, in the main... This backstop thing whereby the problem is between Northern Ireland and Ireland, that is going to be the border uh, of the United Kingdom with the European Union. They don't want a hard border there, so therefore they need to look for a solution Mm. that that would uh, mean that it obviates the need for the hard border. And so we've got this 20-month implementation period post-March the 29th when we officially leave the European Union. I would have thought that's plenty of time, mm. quite frankly, uh, to establish what the solution is going to be. We've been talking about it for two years. Yes. We've got another 20 months
2: and the to talk about The argument mostly it. seems to be about whether or not the border can either be done away with or implemented with or without the permission of the European Union. I mean, that's well, what the route seems to w- be about. Well, there's, there's, there's two things here, really. One is, um, what is the
3: fact that they insisted that we couldn't talk about trade with the European Union until the withdrawal agreement Mm. had been implemented. They then used that opportunity to hit us over the head time and time again with this backstop issue. And in fact, we are told the backstop is something that they hope, the Downing Street and the European Union hope, will not be necessary. And indeed, if it is necessary, it's going to be temporary. Mm. So now we've gone back to them and said, well, how temporary? They've said, we're not telling you. Right. I mean, it is absolutely bonkers. And we know that had we talked um, collaterally at the, at the same time, rather, um, uh, about the uh, trade agreement with the European Union, let's say now we've got a £95 billion deficit with yes. them. They sell us £341 billion worth of goods every year. And yes. let's say we want to carry on buying their uh, cars and let's their champagne. Let's say they champagne. want to continue selling themselves. Uh, and, uh, Yeah, um, uh, if they can get them through Calais, of course.
2: Yes. Well, according to the guy in Calais, that will be no
3: problem. uh, Yeah, (laughs) I know that, that, but that's skirted over by them. I mean, the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. And so we are really talking about um, when we've restarted this debate. And nothing has changed other than Theresa has gone back to them. Mm. She wanted to take back more than warm words, didn't get the warm words. Uh, me I got a got a and glass of wine over uh, reassurances, Well,
2: at least Younger didn't ruffle her hair like he likes to do to some. No, that's right. So no, she, escaped, she got away with that.
3: She escaped lightly, but but the fact is that the fundamentals haven't changed um, since Christmas, and so what's my expectation is we'll have another two days of debate on mm. Monday and Tuesday, and unless there can be the legal clarity that the DUP need and we need as well on the Conservative side, then it's going to go down big time, and we have to remember that without the Democratic Unionist Party the Conservative government cannot govern I mean it is absolutely insane that this uh, agreement has been done in the way that it was done Mm. and it looks to me as if the DUP were overlooked they weren't properly consulted I would have had Arlene Foster sitting next to me saying is, how, how does this sound? But
2: then, would then, would then, Theresa may not have been accused of cozying up to the DUP, which she doesn't want to be seen to be doing. She seems to me to be a woman who wants to appear to be in charge, even though everybody kind of is watching <laughs> her uh, falling apart and not in charge of anything. Well, she she was in charge of the last general election, and that's why we
3: are where we are. Indeed, uh, uh, the responsibility uh, for the manifesto that uh, made made us uh, have a minority government and mm. to rely on the DUP. Um, It it stays firmly at the steps at number 10. And so we are where we are. And the prime minister has to cozy up to the DUP. That is the bleeding reality reality. of the situation. So whether you know, whatever the pretenses are, the fact is we need them. And so post Tuesday. Uh, when it goes down, as it will, yes. inevitably, I think, you think it's 16, there's no doubt about that. 16 to one, isn't it? They say uh-huh. you know you can get one, put one pound you'll don't get 16 often back. Often get it
2: wrong, although they do sometimes get it wrong. Let me bring Ross Kempsel in here because yesterday we saw Jeremy Corbyn introducing for the first time, kind of officially. How about we just kick this away for a while and get the uh, uh, get the three month extension uh, for uh, the Article 50 break off? Uh, Ross, how's that been kind of um, received overnight?
4: Well, with some. Sp- speculation some incredulity I would say Mike really to be perfectly frank with you because at this stage it's not clear I don't think Uh, that Labour really could renegotiate this deal within a three-month time frame. I think the reality of what we really saw as the top line from Jeremy Corbyn yesterday was a slight softening on extending Article 50, uh, when he did make uh, an assumption, really, uh, about Keir Starmer's comments or an admission, saying that it was possible, uh, really, that Keir Starmer had indicated that that might be a possibility. Now, that's the first time the Labour leader has softened in that way. I think on the meaningful vote next Tuesday, which everyone here in Westminster is now focused on, Speaking to senior government sources last night, it's very clear that the point is no longer even uh, not if we're going to lose, but by how much, but it's now how catastrophic will the loss be. Mm. So I've been looking at numbers, looking at 200 you could still have, and there were a handful of Tory MPs who peeled off. Yesterday, um, some senior Tory MPs, people like George Freeman, Edward Lee, uh, Trudy Harrison, coming back into the fold for the deal. But those are not the kind of numbers that Theresa May needs to be bringing in right now. She needs to be f- increasing that by a factor of 100. So uh-huh. there's there's no way, really, I think, at this stage, that we're looking at anything other than a particularly crushing right now for the oh government dear. on Tuesday.
2: Well, Nigel, would there not then be a case to be made in Theresa May's office as we speak this morning? Uh, how about we just put it off again? Um, <laughs> because presumably they can do that, can't they? They wish
3: they they, they could. Yes, and uh, it would uh, result in Theresa upsetting the speaker again, which uh, in itself is an end probably worth doing. (laughs) But um, I I think it would be far better. uh, As Ross says, it's over 100 Tories uh, or thereabouts. But the important thing for Theresa May is the D.U.P. And once the D.U.P. don't like it, it's not going to get through. So um, I think the defeat and it's how bloody is the defeat. Mm. Uh, means that Theresa, I expect on Tuesday night, will make a statement and uh, tell us what the plan B is, which she's failing to tell us so far. Apparently, you know, there's, um, um, there's no plan B. It's, it, it, the focus is to be honest, plan is right.
2: not looking that great, is it, really? <laughs>
3: well, you could almost dispense with it. But the important thing about being defeated is that I expect Theresa then to say, I will now go back to Brussels and say, you know, it's mm. either no deal uh, or you have to concede the fact that we need to unilaterally leave the European Union and that's the big thing about this. At the moment we can unilaterally leave the European Union. Once that treaty is signed and agreed we can't Mm. because the backstop could be instituted and then from then on in it takes the European Union to allow us to leave. Yes. So we're in a much, much stronger position as we currently are. And it's about time we started to use the leverage of uh, leaving without a deal. We saw Rocco Forte write in the sun just this yes, week to did. say uh, you know, that how, how good it would be that we could save our £39 billion hostage money and spend it on British public services at the same time as then do trade deals with the rest of the yeah. world. You've also got to take on board as well that Donald Trump said that this deal seemed to be a very good deal for the European Union. And his ambassador, uh, Woody Johnson, seemed to correct him slightly, but then post Christmas has come out himself now and said he's not so sure what mm. sort of trade deal could be done with the United States of America. That's going to be the jewel in the crown. And if. Um, the ambassador says that it might stop us doing a trade deal, if the president says it might stop us doing a trade deal, it's pointless number 10, or
2: indeed Liam Fox saying, we can can do a trade deal. Well, no, we can't. It takes two to tango. No, indeed. And, I mean, you'd like to think, would you not, that this is all a bit of posturing and at the end uh, of the game, somebody will produce the joker and say, look, this has all been negotiations, this has all been, you know, uh, posturing, this has all been a bit of a dance of death but now here's what we're actually going to do. But my fear is, is that nobody's actually got the joker. <laughs> well, um, it may well be that case. And it, it leads back
3: to um, what Ross was saying earlier on about Jeremy Corbyn and uh, giving this hint that we could extend the misery by another three months. For what? So that I could listen to Anna Subri and Dominic Grieve and Sarah Wollaston on my own side coalesce with the uh, um, Remainers on the Labour benches and the Scott Knapp benches. Uh, no, that's, that's not going to be any achievement whatsoever. We're told that uh, business wants stability. Everybody expects us to leave on March the 29th. It's almost like trying to alter the date of Christmas. Yes. It would be catastrophic in itself and would lead to people thinking that we just simply have lost control. Mm. And so going down the route of uh, extending Article 50, I think, would be an absolute disaster and would achieve absolutely nothing. So say we, we've, we've had two years of all of this so far. And uh, we've made the pass to the European Union on a number of things. We've given them the upper hand. We've made lots of concessions. And we've got this £39 billion worth of hostage money that we're giving them over that 20-month period, which they need. And
2: then they want to carry on selling us goods. Let's use that leverage. And we're just simply failing to do so. Sure. And what's the atmosphere like inside the Houses of Parliament at the moment? Because there seems to be a kind of a disconnect between what parliamentarians are saying and what the people outside of parliament are saying. I'm not talking about the, the crazy people out here shouting and groaning on about whatever it is they're groaning on about. But, you know, people are asking for them to get on with the job, to, to, to do the people's will, which is, in fact, to, to leave the European Union. And yet there's more and more voices inside the houses of parliament, it seems, saying, well, nobody here wants to do that, so therefore we're going to do what we want to do.
3: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a bit of a sadder. So this morning uh, at about six in the morning, I looked at the EU referendum result program, yes. just to remind myself as, it, as to exactly what went on mm. in 2016. It was a hard-fought uh, campaign, and everybody and the elites expected Remain to win, and indeed there were two opinion polls out that day that gave Remain a lead of between 4 and 8%. Then the results came in, mm. with it's Sunderland and Newcastle and Swansea and all of those, and it was quite clear... Uh, that remain had lost that the people didn't buy into project fear and that they wanted to see an independent country outside of the european union ever since that day we've had a remain parliament because that's what it is three quarters of the mps in that parliament over my shoulder voted remain and they have used every tool in the book including uh, having the speaker uh, overturned centuries of tradition yes. by allowing an amendment which should never have been allowed to a motion uh, on the business on, uh, um, on Wednesday this week. Absolute disgrace. Uh, and yet they are doing everything they ca- can to possibly flout the wishes of the British people. We've had a general election in between that referendum uh, and today, which said um, that the Labour Party and the Conservatives said we would respect the results of the British people. Um, I even listened to people like Justine Greening uh, on the EU referendum programme saying we need to respect the results. Mm. Uh, Even Anna Sobri said it. But they've all changed their tune now and some of them hide behind this so-called second uh, referendum or people's vote and that's nothing other than another bite at the cherry
2: because right. uh, there's no guarantee. guarantee they would win by the way no
3: there's no uh, guarantee that they would win but it would diminish democracy in this country if we were to cave into the demands of the remainers there's not a single lever asking for a second people's vote they want people they want the government to just get on and deliver uh, what the people had voted for. And another thing that strikes me as amusing is that uh, we're all told that the Leavers didn't know what they yes. were voting for. Right? They're a bit thick, they're mm-hmm. racist, and they didn't know what they were voting for. But this week, increasingly, you hear the Remainers telling us that But what they didn't vote for, was leaving without a deal. Yes. It's, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, there's too the
2: many the sands. There's too many lawyers over there. I think that's the major problem. But, Nigel, listen, we've got to cut it short here uh, because we've we've covered a lot of ground. Ross Campbell's going to be here for the rest of the show. Uh, enjoy Ribble really Valley. Uh, thank you very much for, for popping I down. I can't wait to get back to the Shires, as you say. <laughs> well, listen, we'll be back here on Monday, so uh, do pop by really. uh, while we prepare for Armageddon on Tuesday, the so called meaningful vote. It might be a lot more meaningless than we think. Nigel, thanks very much thanks indeed. Very much, right. this is radio this is the independent republic of mike gray we're live in college green where westminster is abuzz with rumors apart with buzzed with all manner of stories and predictions. Ross Campbell is here with me. He's our political editor, of course. He's going to be here throughout the show. Uh, We're here till one o'clock. We want to hear from you as well, of course, because you uh, are the people that need to ask the questions of the politicians, all of whom are coming on this show today. Uh, 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on. Uh, We're going to go to the calls right now and speak to Diane, uh, who's from Wakefield. Diane, a very good morning to you. Welcome.
5: Very good morning to you as well. Um, yes, the question I want to ask is, um, we never heard anything from the Remainers regarding what's written in the Lisbon Treaty and how it will affect if we do not leave the EU.
2: What makes you think we're not going to leave the EU, though, Diane?
5: Oh, don't you worry. I, I 1,001% want to leave the, the EU. But it's just concerning me But that, that no, no Remainers ever bring this up and it's... It's it's a big argument against uh, not having a people's vote. No, I well, do you know what's interesting?
2: A... W- yeah, well, what I find extraordinary, Diane, is that we have never ever heard anyone before, um, I would say, the last year, talking about how brilliant the European Union was, how great the Lisbon Treaty. How fantastic um, we have been treated by our friends over in Brussels. Because, one, it's Hello. not true. Two, nobody has ever said that because it's because it's not the way anybody feels. Suddenly now we're being told that the European Union is such a marvellous entity, such a fantastic endeavour, exactly. that we shouldn't possibly exactly. uh, be allowed to leave it.
5: Exactly. And it's so... I am. So, I find it so, extraordinary. So, I, I, I never, never used to be in... I never used to get involved in politics until until recently and I have researched and researched and researched and I am one thousand million percent sure that this country's way forward is to come out of the EU on WTO on WTO terms. Um, but the on the other yes. side the remain and all the mainstream media are talking about how we should it's going to affect this country but they never speak about what's written in the in the, the Lisbon Treaty if If, God forbid, we have to stay in, it means I think it's in 2022 uh, that we have to uh, accept more rules, more federalisation. And I just wanted to understand whether that was correct or not what's written in the Lisbon Treaty, because I've been trying to research it as well. And it's sort of an argument that people from the... Well, Diane, you
2: know what? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Diane. I'm going to ask Ross Kempsell uh, for the answer to that question because he's our political editor. He knows all about these things, uh, and he's going to find out what the uh, Lisbon Treaty scenario is. But we'll also put your uh, question to any other MPs that we speak to on the show this morning. Do you know uh, who your MP is, Diane? And, and and if so, do you want us to try and get hold of him? No,
5: not really, no, because I've got a letter Fortunately. unfortunately... Wakefield, where I'm from, it's a Labour MP, and it's it's John Trickett. Yeah. And they're all are at first they okay. were for left, but they're not now. They've turned the, they've turned the route and and also in the next in the next borough it's Yvette Cooper, which is obviously she's not very well liked at the moment in this area.
2: No. No, she, uh, she's one of those who stood up in Parliament this week, in fact, and decided that it would be a great idea uh, to try and make it impossible for Britain to leave the European Union, without a deal. But it was a waste of everybody's time and money, because, quite frankly, even though she won the vote, it makes no difference whatsoever to what the government will do between now and March the 29th. But, Diane, listen, uh, thank you very much indeed for making the call. Uh, we will endeavour to find out the answer for your question uh, the, before the end of this show, so do keep listening. We're here, of course, at Talk Radio until 1 o'clock. We want to hear from more of you as well, 0344 one thousand. If you've got a question that you've been wondering about uh, that you haven't been able to get an answer from, from any politician or from any political pundit, this is the place to get it. The
1: Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
2: 3444 1000 is the number to call us on. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're down on College Green. We're live in Westminster where Parliament is still sitting, unusually for a Friday, uh, because more than 20 different MPs uh, are all going to have their say on the Brexit withdrawal debate. They have decided that they are still arguing about something which everybody else, I think, in the country has pretty much decided upon as far as what it is that the future holds. There is a meaningful vote coming up on Tuesday, of course. Uh, Theresa May may well not survive that particular vote. Ross Kempsel is here with us. We'll be asking him once more uh, what is going on over there across the road behind us uh, from our tented position here uh, on the green down in Westminster. It's a little bit warmer than we thought it was going to be, but the temperature certainly is getting much chillier uh, over there on the Conservative benches. But the other big news today, uh, which many more people do care about, of course, uh, is that Andy Murray has revealed that he plans to retire from tennis, probably after Wimbledon this year, uh, if indeed he's well enough to play in Wimbledon. He had a very tearful farewell, uh, giving a press conference uh, and, and crying over the fact that he's in so much pain uh, that he may not even really be able to get through the Australian Open. We're going to be joined now by Rupert Bell, a Talk Sports tennis correspondent, uh, to tell us precisely uh, why people are so, so affected by this. Rupert, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, Andy Murray's been dealt a sort of um, an, a bit of an unfair hand in many ways here, hasn't he? Because he's had terrible time with his back and his hips and 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 his legs, and he's had operation after operation, and and he's been in a lot of pain for quite a long time. He has indeed, and and I don't think
1: it's entirely unexpected. But you just realise how much the sport and of tennis means to him. That the tearful press conference because. What he's not been able to do is retire on his own terms. His body has given up on him. But what he has done, though, the reason that has happened is because he gave so much to his sport in terms of his determination to win and to win every point, every game when he was at the height of his powers to enable him to get to world number one, two Wimbledon titles, a US Open title, two gold medals and successive Olympics single-handedly almost winning the Davis Cup for Great Britain. So much was just about sheer grit and determination coupled with talent that eventually the body just said I've had enough, I can't do this anymore and unfortunately those heroics that got him to world number one in 2016 ultimately it looks like it's cost him a long career but it was a career that achieved so much.
2: It was, and he's a very misunderstood guy, isn't he? Because you'll have met him a few times, Rupert, I'm sure. He's a much funnier man in person uh, than people give him credit for. He's a much more kind of subtle, entertaining character uh, than his doer sort of, you know, outer image suggests. Oh, absolutely, and without and
1: an extremely popular character. You just have to look not only at some of the articles written when some news has come out, but more importantly from his fellow players, The affection with which he's held not only for his sort of self-deprecating humour that he employs, but also for the role that he takes within the sport with regards to equality and issues. He's not frightened of putting his head above the parapet in terms of what he says. And unfortunately, he got sort of misconstrued a couple of statements about World Cup football and things that sort of have left a a sort of sad taste in many people. But forget that. That's not really him. Just let's appreciate what he did on the court, which was extraordinary. Um, and in an era when there were so many good players and R, with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, it's a golden era, which he was able to compete at, and compete at very effectively. And off the court, as well, as I say, a, a hugely popular character.
2: And you can see that uh, uh, it's a massive uh, golden age as as you say of tennis because so few people have been able to crack into that top four behind those names that you've just given me. And in fact you might argue um, that uh, he's quite young actually Andy Murray to be bowing out because we've seen I mean Djokovic not quite as good and perhaps as as long lasting as we thought he might be uh, but certainly Roger Federer still playing at a much older age. Yeah he's 37 and I think this is part of the
1: frustration Bjorn Borg retired when he was 26 um, because he he couldn't believe that he lost to John McEnroe in a Wimbledon final and suddenly felt he couldn't compete uh, and he was lost far too young. But the way the sport has evolved, yes, players are going on much older and achieving greater because of the way they manage their fitness and schedule. But also, as you say, that the young generation haven't been able to prize open that elite level, which has been so dominated by these Um, Four players, um, of of which Murray has been part of it. They have completely dominated tennis over the last 10 years, and we will miss Murray as a result. Federer and Djokovic is world number one at the moment, so still competitive. Nadal's got injury problems at 32, so the, the guard is changing, but it's a slow process, and sadly, it looks as if Andy Murray will finally bow out. Hopefully, he can find a way of getting to Wimbledon But I'd rather he didn't turn up there just to be a sort of first or second round whipping boy because that wouldn't be the way to be remembered. If he's going to go, see what happens this week. He's up against a difficult first round opponent. Don't try and drag it out just for the sake of one last sort of appearance at Wimbledon. Let's remember him for his two Wimbledon wins, which will certainly define him as one of Britain's greatest tennis player, but one of Britain's greatest sportsmen
2: absolutely Rupert thank you very much indeed Rupert Bell uh, TalkSports tennis correspondent giving us his appreciation uh, of Andy Murray a great player a fantastic personality and a great loss he will be uh, to the world of sport uh, of course we're down here in Westminster Uh, Ross Kempsell is here with me Ross I've got a a, an interesting tweet here uh, just to ask you a question on from Nick who says if Theresa May loses a vote of confidence and we have a general election who has the authority to delay article 50 in the intervening period that is an interesting one if we technically don't have a government or a parliament
4: yeah that's that's an interesting question i mean we, we the situation in a general election would be uh, that obviously Theresa may would continue in office in that election campaign yeah um it would it wouldn't be uh, a situation where you would i think get an extension or any change to article 50 because you would have to have it looks like a majority in the house of commons to get right. that through and that's one of the problems at the moment is that there's no clear majority so um, I, I don't think... Situation, you would see any clear uh, change on that but the parties would have to make that clear in their manifestos right. so in that election they would have to be clear about what they were going to do in article 50 and then it would go to the to the general election and this is
2: part of the problem at the moment isn't it but we're not really seeing clarity from either side really I mean we've of course got the Theresa May withdrawal deal on the table uh, but even that is kind of up in the air because we heard the other day that she might give some concessions to Labour uh, about the uh, employment laws and that kind of thing protection for employees under EU law and maintaining that, maintaining a few other bits and pieces to try and give succour and comfort to the unions. But we've got the Labour Party, on the other hand, also refusing to be specific on exactly what deal they would negotiate. They just keep saying, oh, well, we'd negotiate a better deal. But how,
4: though? Yeah, and Jeremy Corbyn says that he wants a general election, but that would put him politically in the position where he would have to, in this general election manifesto, make very clear what his policy would be, both on May's deal, on the details of that, and on uh, uh, the future relationship and the future negotiations. Now, he says he would like there to be a single market kind of relationship. He says that he would like there to be a new customs union. But I think in a general election situation, you would have to make that a lot clearer uh, and the manifesto would have to be quite detailed.
2: Okay, let's return to the question that we got from Diane in the first hour of the show, uh, who was keen to find out precisely what role uh, the Lisbon Treaty would have if, in fact, we decided not to stay in the European Union, which I don't think either of us really think is a likelihood uh, that's going to happen. But uh, in the in the event that we did stay in the European Union, um, her question was how does the Lisbon Treaty kind of take account of that, I suppose?
4: Well, none of the UK's relations with the EU in legal terms have actually yet uh, changed in, mm. a, in, a, in a significant way because we're waiting for all of that to be enacted through the transition period and then on to leaving. now. Right the situation I don't think again that there would be any change and it is possible uh, that the UK could rejoin. I think at this stage the EU would still uh, make some kind of special arrangements to uh, in some way get around the problem of Article 50 not being uh, irrevocable. Now we know that that has been up against uh, this ruling uh, in the top courts in Europe saying that the UK does have this unilateral option to leave but it's quite clear that the EU would allow the UK back I think mm. at this stage tentatively oh I think um, with open arms I think, it, it, yeah but that becomes much less clear when we get further down the road and you would then have to Uh, the European Union has said this, if you wanted to re-accede to the European Union you would need to go through the normal process of accession. Now whether that would in reality be be put into place is another question, but at least in theory uh, after we leave in March, if the UK wants to rejoin and I presume that this would be after the end of the transition period, uh, you would need to go through the normal process of reapplying to join. Okay,
2: now while the um, negotiations and the speeches go on over in uh, uh, the House of Parliament behind us here on College Green, uh, down. streaks busy as well presumably today trying to put finishing touches onto some form of communique or other, Uh, what are we going to see from them today?
4: Well we've just had this new line in the last few moments which is an interesting line at the cabinet level, Theresa May has slightly slapped down Jeremy Hunt who was out and about this morning uh, basically making some softer noises towards extending Article 50 and Theresa May has restated this policy that she is very firmly against extending or changing the Article 50 process or Uh date. Now whenever we talk about changing the Article 50 date it's not quite as straightforward as that, it's not clear uh, how and the kind of mandate that would be needed from the House of Commons for that to actually be done so it's it generally thought that if you wanted to change the leave date you would have to bring that to the Commons uh, and you would have to change legislation because it's now in an act of Parliament mm. so you would probably have to have a vote in the House of Commons is what it would really come down to uh, and, and Theresa May making it very clear that she doesn't want to go down that path. Now I wouldn't say that that's a hard and fast reassurance because to be honest if we get to March and Theresa May is in a deal or no deal situation at that stage uh, you'd be looking at it being extremely late in the day but yeah. I think at that point, you can't rule anything out,
2: and it might actually be a vote that she would win because there are plenty of people in the in the what we can now call the Remain
4: Parliament who would be happy to postpone it uh, rather than go out with no deal. True, but I think it would be difficult for Theresa May then to um, make the argument that she's the right person to continue the negotiations if Article 50 were to be extended. She would have a tough call uh, on that because she's been so consistently clear all the way through that she believes that the UK is leaving in March. Although it's quite interesting, an answer she gave the other day where she usually gives that uh, line, uh, she didn't quite say that. So there has been some slight change in messaging there, Um, but, but that is more to do, I think, with us getting up towards the date than anything else.
2: No, indeed. Ross here with us, political editor of Talk Radio. She's so lovely, she's so lovely, she's
5: so lovely, she's so lovely, she's so lovely
2: in Republic of Mike we are live on College Green it's a bit chilly it's a very very grey and dank old day down here in Westminster uh, back over the road in the Parliament building uh, there are people making speeches about Brexit there are people making plots about Brexit uh, but what we don't know is what will happen next Tuesday when it's time for the meaningful vote. Ross Campbell is here with me uh, we're going to be joined shortly by Chloe Wesley uh, who is from the Taxpayers Alliance of course we'll find out from her uh, what she thinks should happen uh, when Theresa May gets completely and utterly slaughtered uh, basically when the meaningful vote takes place uh, next week first though let's go to the phones 0344 499 1000 Uh, Patrick is in Belfast hi Patrick
0: good morning Mike I hope you're wrapped up warm
2: Uh, I'm wrapped up very warm thank you very much in fact my coat is so big that I can barely get into the tent well I think that says more for
0: the size of the tent than it does for you Mike
2: thank you very much indeed for letting me down gently what would you want to tell us (laughs) Mike
0: I'm really really getting paved off With these people, like your guest, Stephanie, and these MPs who come on and say, oh, the people who voted no didn't know what they were voting for. I'm sorry, but I'm intelligent enough to know what I voted for. I voted out. That's what I want. I'm sick and tired of these MPs and all these people who come on and all these analysts who turn around and say, oh, no, you weren't given all the facts. I'm sorry, but I looked up the facts. It, it, it mm. it's not a you know a very hard thing to do. I want to leave the EU. Why is these MPs turning around now saying, "Oh, we now have to fill out a whole like mandate of answer right. yes or no to all these questions before we get the actual referendum"? We voted no. Right. So why don't you go to what the...
2: You, you're in Belfast, Patrick, so what do you make of this, uh, sh- uh, this sort of ridiculous conversation backwards and forwards about about the border, no border, free border, you know, open border? What's What, what difference does that make to you?
0: Listen, Mike, w- what it comes down to it is the people here, all, all they want is just to have the way things are, but us to control ourselves. At the end of the day, the EU is going to lose more, and I'm sick and tired of all these different figures saying they're not. The EU relies on us more than we rely on them. If they're going to start putting in all these different things, saying, oh, you have to have this or you have to have that, I don't particularly care because it's not going to happen. It's going to harm more European business than it will ours. All I want to do is stop politicians and all these analysts turning around and saying, oh, but you don't know all the facts. I'm sorry. Yes. The majority of people voted out. So, do your job and get us out. Yeah, I think I think
2: you've made that you've made that very succinct point, and I think a lot of people would agree with you, Patrick. Thanks very much indeed.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
6: And now it's time to
2: go over to Cornelius, the producer for the
6: awards. Thank you very much. A warm welcome to you to the very first Perry Awards of 2019, here live, sort of, in a nice and warm studio. This is where we cast our ears back over the past five days of the so-called independent republic of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. And a new year brings with it a fresh group of gaffes and weird moments, so let's find out who the first winners are. As is tradition, Mike, you're up first. The first Perry Excellent. Award you've won of the year is for the best backtrack.
1: I take you down to a Crown Court which is falling apart. Yeah. Well, I used start. to
2: spend a great deal of time in the court
6: system, Jerry. not as a criminal, of course.
2: <laughs> That's true. Thank I God was never a criminal. Clear, yeah.
6: Yeah. Um, and, uh, Mike, you're not the only one who's been on the right side of the law this week. Mm. Congratulations, Susan in Exeter, for winning the Innocence Award
0: unless you're sending drugs or or other illegal contraband into a prison, which, uh, excuse me, I don't have anything to do with. No, thank
2: goodness for that. Uh, it's illegal.
6: <laughs> Good, God bless yeah. Susan. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, well, sure. don't leave the metaphorical stage yet, Susan. You also win the period for best impression for your take on a horse.
2: No, but, I mean, say you wanted, for example, you wanted a, a panoramic view of the White Cliffs of Dover, right? You could go to the top of the White Cliffs of Dover you could set... (laughs) She does make some very odd noises when she's not speaking, I have to say.
6: I think she has not recorded just on buttons or something, I don't know. Mm. Um, uh, Our next winner is a regular on the show, GP Dr Lawrence Buckman. He wins the perio for most immediate example. I mean, they're not the same thing at all. No. Mm. A, A cold is a runny nose. You
2: cough. You might cough up a little bit of phlegm. (laughs) You know, he did that the last time he was on as well. He's always got something wrong with him, that doctor.
6: Well, the only people he meets are ill, so that's that's probably why. Uh, Congratulations to friend of the show, Katie Perrier, for winning the Perrier for this week's sassiest moment. They don't even know who their MEPs are. They probably never ever voted for
2: one, and they wouldn't know where to find him uh, if, in fact, they did know who it was.
5: Or her.
6: <laughs> you got you there. Flying the flag for <laughs> feminism. Uh, Sky News' chief political correspondent, John Craig, uh, wins the Perrier this week for best name-dropping.
2: Let's talk to John Craig, police political correspondent for Sky News, who spends an awful lot of time uh, down on College Green and outside okay. the Houses of Parliament. John, a very good morning to you.
1: Hello, yes, I was there uh, between two and five with Kay and then between five and seven with Mark
6: Austin. Yeah. <laughs> It's part of his job, <laughs> yeah, know. you know, um, Fan boy. <laughs> Mike, another one for you. You win the Perrier for best pronunciation. Right, right. Uh, for your attempt to say the name of MP Jonathan Janogli.
2: Guto Beb, Richard Benyon, Nick Bowles, Mr. Kenneth Clark, Mr. Jonathan Jangley. (laughs) Jangley. I must admit that one sort of took me slightly by surprise. (laughs) I wasn't prepared. Never mind, he's still on the list.
6: Yeah. You again, Mike. Obviously the intelligent man you are. You win the most interesting statement of the week.
2: The French can get away with a lot more than we can because they have this kind of Frenchness thing going on, can't they? (laughs) Frenchness, it's a thing, is it not? Wow. Je ne sais quoi, as they call it.
6: It does uh, turn out, Mike, that your statement is clearly untrue. <laughs> it seems that English can also be quite French. Mm. Uh, take a listen to our broadcasting neighbour, Julia Hartley Brewer.
5: The, the French author, I'm not going to say his name, no one's ever heard of him, uh, <laughs> he's been on French television talking about how, it well, it is impossible to love a woman who's over 50. <laughs> uh, the body of a 25-year-old woman is, is extraordinary, but not the body of a 50-year-old woman.
6: This <laughs> sounds like Spectre Clouseau. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that's it. That's, a for the, <laughs> that's it for the Perry Awards this week. Live from the past, there will be more next week. Back to the present day, Mike, at College Green.
4: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio.